Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of Skills for Mars, the podcast that articulates the future of work. Being boring is a luxury. Capturing attention with the cleverness of an advertiser is a useful skill now and in the future. My guest today, two brilliant humans. Will Audrey, copywriter, writing coach and free-roving creative director, who has looked after brands like BP, Kodak and Mercedes. And Adrian Docha, the co-founder and innovative director of The Heraldist, an agency that helps startups find and express their unique brand, product and value propositions. We all believe that capturing attention is an essential skill in a very busy and noisy world, not only for brands and companies, but for each of us. We will talk about LinkedIn differentiation, using tools and frameworks to exercise our creative muscle, creativity through language mastery, the awesome copywriting masterclass that The Heraldist and Will are running together. Through this podcast, we are bringing the future of work closer to you. If you enjoy the content, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share your thoughts in the comment section below. Your views and your feedback are extremely important to the development of the podcast. Enjoy our conversation. Hi, Will. Hi, Adi. Welcome to Skills for Mars. Hi, Julia. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting us. You know, we had this uh, every Tuesday for about two months and a half, three months, we had this copywriting training. And I had this crazy idea that copywriting shouldn't be reserved to advertisers and agencies, that actually it's a skill that maybe each of us should have. To try and keep it really simple, in the English language, and I'm very privileged to be the one here talking his native tongue, you know, we have a working vocabulary of about 500,000 words in the Oxford English Dictionary. 300,000 of those are technical ones. So our working vocabulary is about 200,000. And again, working English to the English alphabet, we have 26 letters. And my job every day is to come in and move those 200,000 words around and those 26 letters to try and connect with an audience that is not looking out for me. People don't look out for brand conversations. They don't look out immediately for the things that are not of complete interest in their lives. And so really my job is to try and arrange language in the shortest and most compressed way to grab attention and keep relevant and keep alive and make some impact so that I'm remembered literally on a day-to-day basis. That's pretty much my definition of copywriting. Just to get people to know you a bit at the very beginning, Will, you didn't start into into copywriting. You're starting into something totally different. And if I'm correct, you studied geography? I did. I did indeed study geography. Um, So, you know, I was launched into the world age 21 and I knew that coffee came from Brazil and you know steel came because you mixed up coal and other things but I had no idea about what I was going to do when I grew up and arguably I still have absolutely no idea what I'm going to do when I grow up but I actually moved towards advertising via a job on a boat in fact I worked for six months on a very rich man's plaything. we went across the Atlantic Ocean to the Caribbean and came back And uh, I then headed into London advertising, but on the business side, as an account uh, executive managing the business, the liaison person between client and the agency. And I very quickly thought from my perspective that when something was going well, the creative department took the credit. And when anything went badly, I took the blame. Um, And I've learned subsequently that that's not the case in account management. Actually, I've worked with some brilliant, brilliant account people. But for me personally, I was never in the right place. And and therefore, 
thanks to the help of some people around me, uh, particularly the creative director, Jerry Moira, um, he made it possible for me to take some time out in the evenings, put a portfolio together, and I went into copywriting. And that was a very long time ago, and I spent my life being mostly over, over three decades a copywriter, and ultimately they put gold braid on you, and you become a creative director. And that's, you know, when you start to manage people and manage brand conversations. Um, but along the way, I, I think the, the, the big pieces of business that people might know is that mostly in the 1980s and early 1990s, I did an awful lot of work for Levi's, for 501s, working with Bartle Bogle Hegarty and the remarkable John Hegarty. Um, Audi as well, Vorsprung durch Technik, as you took a brand from being, people thought it was some non-specific East European destination to make it more German. Uh, and then uh, in the first part of the 21st century, I worked a lot for, uh, on Dove, Unilever's Dove, right the way across the world, and Knorr, the, uh, the, the stock cube, um, literally globally in every territory. Uh, so that's most of the stuff that I've done. Did you find you were creative when you were an account manager, or did you already know it? Did you know it as a kid? Um, I think as a very small child, I used to have plastic toys of cowboys and Indians and I used to ruffle up a rug and put little plastic toys on the rug. And I think when you start doing that and arranging things, you're inventing something. And that's nothing to do with whether you're a copywriter or an account manager. Um, but there is an analogy there, which is, as a copywriter, you sit and look at these little plastic people on a rug and you tell the stories of what's going on. As an account person, you realize how they all relate to each other and how they need to be moved around. And both, both disciplines require creativity. You know, I don't think you can be an account person advertising unless you are creative to a certain extent. You really need that. So it's, in some ways, it's a false distinction, but the inventive spark of, 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 of copywriting and coming up with an idea and building it and uh, dealing with language, that's, that's certainly where I, I wanted to go towards, and that's where I've ended up. And Adrian, how did you end up into this creative space? Well... I fell in love with advertising when I was 18 and by 19 I had my agency. It was something really small and um, we had one employee and that was myself and I was going from place to place trying to find clients that need uh, new brand, brand identity and, and whatever I was able to do by myself back then. Um, that was not my, advertising was not my first choice in the sense that I, I studied music for 12 years and then I realized that I got bored of music a little bit. It was, it was at the end of high school and just playing piano felt so boring. So, uh, I had to, I had to quit doing that and conservatory was not an option. So I thought, where can I use creativity in a more, I don't know, a business way rather than just fine arts way. So that's how I discovered uh, advertising. I started to read books. And then um, by the time I was 19, I had this little, um, uh, I, I wouldn't even call it an agency. It was registered as a company, but that was just myself going uh, from place to place. So that was my the beginning of the adventure. And then uh, I moved to, to Bucharest. I'm not originally from, from Bucharest. I'm from, uh, from Transylvania and there was no major agency in the whole region. So there was impossible for me to learn from anyone how to do this job. So I had to move to Bucharest and then Warsaw and then Moscow and then Berlin. And then uh, finally I'm back home. Are you back in Romania? I thought you were in Berlin. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I spent some time in Berlin, but most of the time in surprisingly in Bucharest and Moscow. 
working for the same agency for BBDO. How is it to manage a band of creative? Will is managing himself, but he also managed creative uh, departments. But you're also managing people, not only in the creative department, but also in the technical and also the ones that are implementing the, the strategy. I think, I think I will let uh, Will answer this question first because he has way more experience managing people and I'm lousy at managing people. So I did my best to avoid this whole management thing. Yeah, that's why you confounded an agency. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, first and foremost, one fabulous thing about creative people is how unpredictable they are. So the expression herding cats is probably an accurate description of how to manage a creative department. Um, I, I think, and I've done it for over 20 years, and, and you'd have to ask other people when I did it at all well or not, but I think the first point is, and I learned a great deal from very, very good teachers, which is um, being very clear about the distinction about directing and doing. If you're the creative director, you shouldn't take the mouse away from your art director or your copywriter and do it yourself because as soon as you do that they lose the motivation and they lose momentum and they lose enthusiasm and they don't have any ownership and I've worked for people who do do that and that's an impossible situation to deal with as an employee. I think the second thing is as a creative director to realize straight away that you do not know the answer. Uh, and that all you're doing is creating a set of trampolines that people around you can jump up and down on and bounce off, and one of them will come up with the answer. And if you allow that kind of freedom to exist, I think those two single points probably are the only ones that I really register, and the rest of it is fairly common sense, you know, timing and process and good briefs and all that sort of stuff. But it's, it's making the roles absolutely clear and also being aware that the the people around you are the ones who get to answer the brief. Some people are complaining that creativity is one of the parts that is mostly hit by remote work. So I wanted to hear directly from two creatives that are doing this and are managing creatives. How can, can we still um, enable creativity remote? Is it possible or is it way harder to do this? Look, it's going to be much harder than it is. I thought it's going to be almost impossible to get that chemistry going. But um, one year later, I think we're doing quite fine. And it's a privilege to understand, for all of us, to understand that it's not that we really need to be in the same place. It's more like we miss each other and miss that human connection. And mm, I, I think this there wouldn't have been any other way for us to learn this, to learn that it's so beautiful to be able to be in the same space with some somebody and create ideas. And that's a privilege. It's not something that you must do from nine to five. And I think that was the biggest lesson for us. It's uh, being together is amazing for creativity. We can do it even without being in the same place, but it's so much better when we are in the same place and it's a privilege to do that. Does it take longer? Do you need to approach getting some creative creativity out of people in a different way? How does it work when you, when you work remotely? Well, uh, I think people can focus much better than we thought when they are by themselves. Um, there's less uh, working in teams and more individual work um, for, for creatives, for planners. 
Um, but it's still, it, it works. I mean, it's the results are there. I, I don't see any drop in the quality of work. Um, the opposite, I think we, we got better. Oh, that's interesting. Will, how about you? Um, I haven't so much been managing people since the first lockdown in the UK, which was almost exactly a year ago on March the 19th last year. Um, I think uh, the, the, the difficulty has been for a creative director, body language is an, a very useful tool. If you're sitting in a room with people and they all tell you it's brilliant, but their body language is telling you something else, you know you have to go back in again and explain yourself. And it's the same with coaching people, how they sit, their facial attitudes, etc. all really important. Um, so that's a challenge. I think as a consequence, what's really been remarkable in the last 12 calendar months is the focus on clear communication has never been greater. And so the value of good language, of good briefing, of coming at a, the same old problem in a different way to bring it alive, and you see plenty of evidence and examples of that, has been a revelation. So yeah, remote working is absolutely possible. Um, and it's put a new a new focus and, and pressure on, on communication like there's never been, which is kind of a good thing, I guess. I would have told you 18 months ago that was categorically impossible to do. And actually, from the response and from the privilege of watching people come to life on a screen, I think uh, it is possible to, to, to coach and communicate. So we've all suddenly jumped forward about 20 years. We've been through one of Stanley Kubrick's black boxes in 2001 and jumped forward in progress by several years. You know, we, we, we're all, we're all uh, Zoom-tastic now, aren't we? How important is creativity, we've been talking about this, to capturing attention? Well, uh, I think everything we, pretty much everything we do is pitching ideas. When you're trying to get a new client, you're basically pitching your company. When you're trying to convince your colleagues that this uh, uh, opportunity is better than the other one, you're basically pitching your idea or your perspective on things. So I think regardless of what you do for a living, um, being able to present ideas in an exciting way is hugely important. I think that's why I would definitely recommend anyone to take a copywriting class uh, even if they're not copywriters, especially if they're not copywriters, because if you are a copywriter, at least you get to practice your skills every day because that's your job and that's how you pay rent. But if you're not, simply being better than the others in what you do, being better in presenting ideas than other people who are doing the same job, that gives you an amazing advantage. So just imagine you have to do PowerPoint presentations every day. If you do them 20% better, and if you present ideas 20% better than everyone else on the same level with you, that's a huge advantage. So yeah, I would definitely recommend everyone to take a copywriter's class. I would as well. <laughs> Will, and how, so we, I've asked about creativity, but maybe you can add to this the mastery of language. So how important are both creativity and the mastery of language drawing attention? Well, yeah, and by the way, I endorse everything that Adi just said 100%. Um, tiny bit of context, I think, is important to, 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 to roll back from why is copywriting and why is language important. There's a, a fundamental but very easily made assumption on behalf of brand owners, entrepreneurs, 
people who run companies, people who make stuff, is that they assume that there's an audience out there because they've identified that audience who will be looking for them. And just by presenting the information in a functional or factual way, it will be picked up, they'll create sales or links and connections and off they go. And of course, the real world is nothing like that. So it's a sort of um, advertising 101 point, which is how do you go out and attract attention? Two very quick facts. The Guardian newspaper group in the UK uh, put Google glasses on people two summers ago in August 2019, sent them around London for a day, and they came back. And at that point, the average Londoner saw 13,500 commercial messages a day. That was the rough average that people were taking. And in the same breath, um, I was party to a piece of research that had been done amongst young women, not surprisingly because of Campaign for Real Beauty. And for a typical 15-year-old, they have a mental capacity of 15 brands and 15 only. And that includes, uh, you know, pop stars, singers. Uh, there might be a couple of fashion brands in there and a few other things. You realise, oh, my God, I've got all this stuff going on. How do I get into my audience? And that's really where the copywriting point starts. Um, and so I think it's actually how if you don't make yourself appear impactful, interesting, and different, you're just wasting your money. You know, if you, there's no point talking to somebody unless they're going to hear you. And the whole point of copywriting is to be remembered. So that's when you start playing the games with the 26 letters and the 200,000 words. You know, it's what can I do? What different order can I put them in to appear fresh and interesting? And fortunately, there are enough variations within that to be able to do it every day and make it interesting and exciting. So I'm very lucky to work in the way that I do. But I think any copywriter who just thinks it's about presenting functional information will only last five minutes. And then that's the death of them, honestly. Is it getting easier with experience? Or do you get blockages as well? Ready? What do you think? It's getting easier, but the environment is getting more difficult um, because the attention span is reducing and we end up we ended up having to compress all ideas in a few seconds, not even 30 seconds like 10 years ago. So, um, yeah, we get better at doing this job, but it's getting more difficult and you need to have either more money to be noticed because media budget can indeed buy you attention or to be extremely good at creating interesting things because then you don't need that much uh, money to buy media. So uh, I, I've, I've had a chance to work with a lot of big brands that were not creative and they didn't want to be very creative because they their budgets were big enough and they could afford to be boring. It's a luxury. Being being boring is, is a luxury. You have to be really big and have to have really deep pockets to, to, to be able to do that. It's a it's a very it's a sport for 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 aristocracy to be boring. I wouldn't recommend this to a startup or a company that doesn't have a lot of money. How do you feel about making this and creating ads or, or creating any kind of content which is driven towards the negative. That's where news seems to be going, right? Always drawing attention to something that might happen, which is negative, or always pointing to something that uh, we should be afraid of. And 
people even on, on YouTube or Instagram or anywhere else, if they really want to draw attention, they start with something negative. This is what's going to happen to you if you're not doing this. Or you're, not, you're already missing out on this. So there's some sort of fear that, that's being created. How do you feel about that? I think that's probably a huge philosophical question, and we could be here for several days. And at several points, I would appear in Sued's corner for talking pretentious rubbish as a consequence, but I have a go, um, nevertheless, because I think what you point to is what I see is we all know is happening all over the world the polarity of groups. No one's talking to each other in the middle, they're going to the extremes, whether it's on the Brexit situation in the UK or the Republican-Democrat division in the States, or uh, you name it, wherever you look, there are groups running away from each other and both sides have their fingers in their ears going, no, 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 not listening. And if brands do that, I think the danger is you end up on the margins and you might appeal to some you know, of the audience, maybe 50% if you're lucky, but the danger is you get then get badged and you can't get back to the middle. And uh, whilst there are arguments put up that all communication is political, either with the smaller or big P in the end. I personally don't subscribe to that. I think actually when you put a brand out there, uh, you can appeal to both tribes and you should be able to do that. So I think um, there was a time in my life where we used to play games with negativity and I've done it. So I'm not, you know, everyone should have a go in some ways, but I don't think it's the way to endure and last and keep a conversation going. I would, I, I think it's, you know, like it or not, and it's tougher to communicate, lean to the positive rather than push on the negative. That's personal view. I'm sure you have delved a bit into personal branding as well. So how can someone, if they want to just come out and, and, and attract the attention of someone on LinkedIn, right? Uh, build their online reputation if you want. How can they differentiate themselves? Any tips, tricks, something that you would say, um, one advice, don't lie. Don't lie. Don't try to be something you're not. Um, because ultimately, people will notice it and people have a really good nose about these things. And uh, I think the best thing you can do is know exactly who you are and why you're doing the things you're doing. And I think if it's really clear who you are and why are you doing things? It's so easy to build a personal brand because then you will never be dishonest. You don't have to build a brand just like you don't have to do networking. Um, it's something that I don't really like doing networking, but meeting people you're authentically interested in, that's not networking. It's just you're interested to meet certain people. And it's the same with personal brand. If you're if you're just representing yourself, you don't have to do any. PR. I mean, not in the sense that uh, you have to put some kind of a makeup on who you are in order to look good. You just have to be the best of of whoever you are. It's it's difficult because, for example, when we work with uh, um, uh, corporate brands, we advise companies to find their archetype, and we usually work with Jung's archetype in order to find a clear angle, a lens that you can see the world through. 
And I think it applies to people as well, and to personal brands as well. Find out who you are. Maybe you're an, an innocent archetype. Maybe you're a ruler. Maybe you're an outlaw. If you know who you are, you don't have to. You won't have to control how you do things or find the right tone. It will be your tone of voice. It will be who you are. And for me, it took um, it took some time to find out who I am naturally. And when I did. I never had to fake it again in no presentation or in front of any client or an audience. I think I, I, I realized I'm an innocent by nature and I spend most of my life daydreaming. And I think I'm, I'm innocently in love with a lot of things that I do. So if I can transmit this to people, then I don't have to do any personal branding because that's what gets me excited. And it's exciting to get other people excited, um, just like a kid is, is sharing some toys. Right? It's, it's pretty much the same. Very nice that you have embraced this because a lot of people are not embracing their innocence to just daydream and like... <laughs> Thinks that, I don't that have a choice. I think <laughs> I think you have to embrace who you are because I try to do different things. And I try, for example, I try to be a creative director because I always wanted to be uh, to be doing creativity in the let's say advertising agency meaning of creativity. And I spent most of my career doing strategy in a creative way. I think so. I did creative planning, creative strategy, and then when I had to be a creative director, I was horrible. I mean, I was pretty good at cons doing concepts because I was doing that as a, as a strategist, but I was lousy at doing uh, creative storytelling. And that's exactly what happens when you're trying to be something you're not. And then when you realize who you are, um, first of all, you're going to be happier. And second of all, you, you can make other people happy because you can you can give some of that energy. For example, if you're an outlaw, that's that's amazing because that's that uh, uh, sense of uh, justice and making things right, that can be inspiring for a lot of people. So whoever you are, just be the, the best of that thing. Going back to my example on LinkedIn, the audience is quite wide, right? You have different companies, you have various brands that are there, various people who look at your CV who are all different. Can you build and uh, draw attention and make this available for everyone? Or you have to orient yourself to a certain segment and then you will draw the attention of that particular segment. And if you want to change career or shift anything, then you will have to change gears and maybe change the look of your CV, the way you approach people and all of that. Uh, thank you. I, th I think, you know, in, in your question, you, you have almost answered it, actually, which is, and, and to build on what Addy was saying, I think um, perhaps because I had too much time on my hands when LinkedIn first started, I clicked on everybody and said, yes, accept. And now, you know, 5,000 people, and they're all lovely. I know they're all fabulous are on my LinkedIn feed, um, many of them uh, programmers from Bangalore, I think. And uh, um, But the, the, the truth of, of LinkedIn is that it's a river of people floating past you, all waving, saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. And I think the winners on LinkedIn are the people who approach it on the basis, not what I need, what do the people on the bank looking in want? And as soon as you do that, exactly as you say, it changes the nature of your of your language and, and, and your projection, which is you can't talk to all of the people all of the time. That's ridiculous and stupid. You need to work out which particular angle the audience in whom you're most interested. What, what will they be looking for? How can you appear interesting? 
And then, and then as a sort of side issue, I think I would just say cliche on LinkedIn is dreadful. You know, there should be a box and you'd always put, you know, a euro into the um, reached out box. How many people reach out? Oh, God, not again. You know, uh, <laughs> you know there, are, there are many, many, many words that we could sort of jump on. It's just to try and think of a different way to say the same old thing, because otherwise it just it dies on its feet. But yeah, if if you think, how can I present myself to somebody who might be interested in me and just create that person in your mind, immediately I think your messaging on LinkedIn will be a lot more appealing and have a lot more engagement. Are there any kind of exercises you both use or you use in the agency, Adrian, to keep up with creativity and maybe even help uh, your employees or someone who wants to become creative with a sort of thinking template? For a long while, I thought using these templates and tools uh, was a lazy way of becoming creative. I was wrong, uh, but that's widespread in the advertising industry, this belief that you're not allowed to use these tricks. That's not real creativity. But um, my my whole view changed when I discovered a, a tool called systematic inventive thinking, which is something invented in Israel in the 70s, I think. Uh, it was an innovation tool um, that currently helps big companies, mostly in the R&D departments, basically create new things. Sometimes you create new stories, but most of the times you can create new features and new products and uh, new connections that you would probably not normally make. So when I discovered this tool and I, I had a chance to go through a couple of trainings, I think 15 years ago, and I realized that it actually accelerates the, the, the speed and the quality of the ideas I come up with. And I was surprised of how creative we could be in a matter of hours. And then I had the chance to train people into this, this methodology and I um, tried to make it even simpler so I can teach more people how to use it. And I think the most inspiring experience for me was with this um, pharmaceutical company. And uh, I was supposed to train them into becoming more creative in what they do. And before the whole training, they came to me and said, Adrian, you know, we're not really marketing people. We're doctors. We're, we're, we're medical professionals. We, we, we've never did anything creative. So please don't expect us to, to come up with new ideas because it's not what we do and we work. I know we have marketing on our business card, but it's not really the kind of marketing that you're familiar with. It's a different, it's pharma, it's a, it's a different world. So six hours later, these people, I think they were four or five and it was in Moscow. And there was this uh, hotel conference room and the entire wall was covered with their ideas. I had no contribution to that. All I did was training them how to use their own brain and add these little accelerators or tricks, which uh, these tools are basically just making the connections that our brain would make anyway. It's just you're forcing your brain to try more connections faster. And they were completely surprised. Oh my God, we did this. This is this is our work. I can't believe it. And they had packaging innovation ideas. They had uh, app ideas. They had uh, sh uh, shelf design ideas. They had a, a whole bunch of ideas that were useful in their field. And that's when I realized that if we had the chance to train maybe kids in schools or even in high school, how to use these kind of tools or people who are managing cities, 
And if we can help them and train them to be more creative in what they do, our world would be completely different. And that's how the whole Sam Brandon concept was born, actually, because this, this uh, uh, ability to create new things is in all of us. And it's not just a cliche, oh, we're all creative. Yes, we are all creative and we are not all good at creativity because we don't practice um, this uh, enough. It's just like uh, we, we can all uh, practice sports, but we're not all good at sports because we don't do it often enough. So that's... That, that was that was the, revel, the the revelation for me that indeed we are all creative, but we need to push the buttons, the right buttons, and then do that with a certain frequency, so that you keep the muscle trained. And basically, we tried to apply this philosophy to to Sam Brandon because normally, uh, what we what we noticed in creativity schools is that you have a full day masterclass or two days masterclass. And what happens is that you, be, you you actually become more creative in those two days. And then you go back to what you do and you pretty much forget about everything uh, within a week. But if you do this with a certain frequency, maybe at least once a week, you keep that creative muscle trained. And if the professor helps you with this trick and that tool, you will be able to create much faster. So yes, I'm a big believer in creativity that should be um, in, in everything we do from schools to, to um, city halls. I'm so glad you bring this subject uh, into discussion, like having creativity as part of the curricular early on. I think it's extremely important and learning how to make it through the noise and how to build our how to build our brand, our personal brand, whether it's online or whether it's offline, nowadays is extremely, extremely important. Will, maybe any tips on how to get this education going? Anything that maybe you have stumbled upon in, in your career and you think, hey, this is a great, uh, this is a great way to start? Um, we, we sort of stumbled into the, the area that I've um, more by accident than anything else um, the last 20 years have increasingly run coaching sessions and which has led to the St. Brendan uh, series for coaching, communication and, and, and writing. Um, I, I've never formally uh, learned systems or um, structures in which to produce creative work, but I'd be fascinated in, in Addy's system and, and, and getting to that because I think it's very possible to train people's minds and create a set of steps, a bit like a frog jumping across a pond from lily to lily. And if your objective is to get to the outside of the pond, each of those lilies that it lands on is a really important step along the way. Um, I think there is one fundamental ground rule, which is chopping and changing, but you can't start a fire without a spark. Everybody has a spark within them. Most people don't realize that they have, whether they're a doctor or you know, whether they're a garbage disposal pickup guy from the street or whatever, everybody's got a thought or an idea. Um, the most important thing I've learned over time is you can apply it in the wrong way, any sort of structure or teaching. And as soon as people feel like it's a constraint and it's rigid, then it loses all its oxygen and its impact. Um, without being slanderous, you know, John Cleese from the original Monty Python, one of the funniest men on earth, the more that he's learnt about himself, the less funny he's become. And he's been sort of analysed out of existence. He knows exactly who and what he is now. And I think with creativity, you have to be a little bit careful about over-examining it. Uh, and so the way I get around that is you turn everything into a game 
literally the kind of games you'd play after dark when you've had too much to drink at the end of a meal. And if everything you do in a creative course is like that, so it's fun and people will lean forward, especially about, and then I think that, that, that kind of stops it being sort of toxic or, you know, rigid or over formal or boring. And, you know, that's, that's what I'd suggest. I'd like to add one more thing to this. Uh, I think, I believe everyone is creative, but I think in order to be really good at creativity in a certain field, you have to work hard because these two things sometimes are not in balance. As soon as people find out they're creative, they think they can do the job of a copywriter like this. And I mean, think about it. Would you hire an electrician who just realized he's good at being an electrician five, five hours ago? Probably not, because you want that person to know what they're doing. And yeah, probably he's talented for to, to, to and he, he, he could become a good electrician, but still put 10,000 hours into that skill and you'll be an amazing electrician. And it's the same with being a copywriter, I think, or a strategist or, or a designer. I think it's okay and it's, it's, it's great if people discover their creativity, but I think creativity can be very diverse And in order to master a certain kind of creativity, you need to work hard. For example, if you want to be, cre uh, to be really good in interior design, that's one way of, let's say, telling stories through objects. But if you want to be good at uh, storytelling, as in script writing, for example, that's a completely different creative skill. Coming up with new ideas, yes, I think that's immensely useful. And I think all people should be able to, to discover this kind of creativity, but not all of us should do this for a living. We've been talking about usual people that want to get creative and want to draw attention, right? And how to do this. How about people that want to start into copywriting or advertising? What do you think are the skills that they should hone yet into the field? And maybe work on the creative side, but also on the on the strategy side. And it's a very good question. And there are many people who ask it every single day. And it's amazing how many people I know have suddenly produced children who will want to be copywriters at the moment. I, I think that the, the principle um, never changes, but the channel is changing all the time. Um, what used to be a, an analog, you know, old-fashioned portfolio with a few. Uh, hand-drawn roughs has now become a very finely finished online piece of, of work, which is how people present their portfolios. I think anybody who wants to get into copywriting thinks it, it's not about them. They are the voice piece of many different brands, and people who are going to pay the money to do that for a living need to be confident that they can adopt different voices. So the, the first fundamental is always go out there, do five, six, seven, eight, or even nine campaigns or different brands, products, services, or whatever, uh, with three or more executions in each, in more than one media, and then run them past a judge or somebody, and then you see whether you've got a skill or not. And until you've done, and Ad is absolutely right about the hard work, you know, you need energy more than you need talent to become a copywriter. You really do. Then, then you are on the way to seeing whether you can do it. It's not just something you put out of thin air and say, I'm going to be the world's next. David Ogilvy or David Abbott or whoever it happens to be? I think it's very similar to football. Um, once in a while you find an amazing player who's just gifted with the skills and then at some point in their life 
their lifestyle is changing and they start doing, maybe some of them do drugs and the whole mess. And then suddenly they just disappear from, from, from the big, uh, from the elite of football. And if you look at the hardworking players, you see a lot of those playing at top level. And I think that's something that's that's very similar to what what we what we see in advertising. I've, I've seen amazing talent wasted on uh, the wrong lifestyle, and they're not even doing this job anymore. And pretty much all the good advertisers I know, advertising people I know, they're incredibly hard workers. And I think if I can pinpoint two things that somebody wants to be a strategist or creative in in a in an agency needs to have is one being curious and two being hard worker that there's one thing i couldn't teach anyone to be curious about things i I've, i've been trying that and i failed and i don't i still don't know how to do that because if you're not truly interested in that i don't know how to teach you to be interested in that and the second thing, hard, being hard work, uh, hard worker, I think that all depends on the first one. Because if you're really curious about something, you'll probably put more hours into it because it's just you're, you're passionate about it, you're curious about it. So I would say these two things, and then everything else you can you can learn. Do you both think that AI will take over this uh, this kind of creative jobs? Is there a chance in the future that the uh, AI gets so good? And algorithms get so good that they overpass uh, human capacity for creativity? Or you think, no way, 100 years from now, it's still humans? Um, I think Ali's probably better qualified to answer this, but very quickly, I think you can't dismiss AI altogether because you know there will be an algorithm that can sequence every piece of copy that's ever written. God alone knows how many millions that, that is and come out almost with a sort of pellet form of what a perfect piece of communication is. And however irritating it might be, there will be some truth in that. But what I still love about this business and the, and, and the, and the, you know, the world of brands and communication, it's still actually the irrelevant and the random that catch our attention. And as long as I can be irrelevant and random and catch people's attention, then I think AI won't kill me. Um, and, and you can't program AI to, to go off piece. You know, it's, it's a logic process. And yes, a lot of it is logic. But um, so I think we just have to learn to work with it and work out where it's going to be better, certainly in terms of search engine optimization and all the rest of it. But just occasionally, you know, a mad cat playing a trombone on top of a building in pursuit of an insurance policy is going to carry the day for no other reason that not many people see mad cats playing an instrument on top of a building very often, you know, and tell me that AI is going to come up with that and I'll, I'll you know, give you a big hug, I guess. <laughs> Adrian? Well, I'm, I'm a bit more pessimistic about this. I think it's not a matter of a century together. I think it's a matter of years. And we already see symphonies written by AI and we see uh, amazing paintings made by AI. So I think it's just a matter of time. So the answer is yes, they will take these jobs as well, but I think this will be the last jobs to die. So uh, <laughs> if, if it was to choose now your career, 
at least this will be the last survivor, this, this uh, whole creative industries thing. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree with you, definitely. But I think it's not, it, actually, it's not depressing because we just need to find, it's a philosophical question and it goes back to meaning and what's meaningful for us as human beings. So if being creative will continue to be meaningful, probably we won't have to do it, but we'll do it anyway because it makes us who we are. So um, I, I think it will it will go back to to ourselves, and the, I think the ne next decade will be more philosophical than than everything we've seen before because we are already asking big questions. We have autonomous cars on the streets already being tested, so. Even those things need to be programmed for um, uh, um, incredibly difficult situations. For example, the, the one that everybody's using is uh, um, how do you program a car uh, so that when they have to choose between killing you or killing a kid on the street, what will the car do? And that's a philosophical question. It's no longer a Silicon Valley typical tech question. It's a philosophical question. So what tech companies do is they hire philosophers and they are trying to answer big questions now. And I think this one with creativity being um, uh, covered by AI, that's also a philosophical question. It's, uh, are we going to feel less useful or less valuable if an AI can uh, compose a symphony? I don't think so. Anything that I didn't ask and maybe you would like the listeners. That's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the exam, right? When the teacher says you can write anything you want. Anything, <laughs> anything from what you've learned this year, just it's, put it, it's, spell it on paper. It's the like, equivalent of... <laughs> uh, uh, giving out a, a, a no brief to creatives. Like, you, you, there's no message, there's no brief, just make something interesting. I have no idea. See, you always think about creatives in that whatever you throw at them, they will manage to get something because they are the creative, they are artists. They don't need boundaries. Oh, they love boundaries. <laughs> they, won't, they won't admit they love boundaries, but without boundaries, what happens is exactly what happened for the last 15 seconds here. That's creativity <laughs> without boundaries. John, John Webster at BNP always said that um, the tighter the boxing ring, the more interesting the combat. And, and really, actually, the tighter the brief, very often, the better the creativity. The more you put constraints on people, the more they will find imaginative ways to get out. And you know, watching two boxers run around Wembley Stadium is not nearly as exciting as watching two boxers run around a two-meter square little patch of ground. It's a much, much more fiery kind of thing. Um, I, I, th I think you've asked all the right questions. I think, you know, the last one that you touched on and Addy spoke about, which is when AI takes all our jobs, will the world miss copywriters and advertisers? And the answer is, I think possibly there are, you know, there are good things we could point to. But we should start thinking about, you know, what our second career will be. So I'll get on to thinking that. And if you ask me what my second career will be, I have no idea just yet. But I'm going to go away and think about it. For those who want to reach out to you, maybe uh, learn how to write copy or learn how to write in general. I know, and I know, Will, you're, you're uh, doing this as a, as a coach. And Adrian, maybe for those who want to access the copywriting uh, classes or 
even get be part of your team? How can they reach out? Um, and to Adi, because the reason we're talking today is entirely because of him, Julia, and Heraldist uh, Wondermark's um, school. So, Adi, Adi, over to you. So if, they, if they're interested in, in our creative school where, where uh, Will is teaching copywriting, they can simply go on heraldist.com and they will find a section uh, that is called Sam Brandon School of Creativity. And uh, we hope we'll have Will soon uh, back to Sam Brandon. So uh, we're just preparing for the new session. It is a wonderful, wonderful course. So whoever is listening, that's a must for anyone who wants to get a bit of creativity in their life and learn how to capture attention in a very nice way. I got this feedback from, from people who are not creatives as a, as a business card description, as a, business, as, a, as a job title. And I think, yeah, I think Will can help people just express ideas creatively without having to be a copywriter or plan to be a copywriter. For sure. For sure, in a very risk-free way. You always feel you've done great. Well, that, that, that was very much the intention. On the other hand, today I may have done terribly badly, but there we go. That's the, the perils of podcasting. So um, it's been a great pleasure. Will, how will people be able to find you? Uh, via St. Brendan is probably the best way to do that. Um, uh, you mentioned LinkedIn several times. I, that, you know, I, I'm out there somewhere in the distance. But yeah, um, Heraldus and Brendan is probably, for the purposes of today, the best way to get hold of me. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you both very much for today. Thanks for inviting us.